sing like this. I will give you praise. I will give you praise. I will sing your song. I will sing your song. I will bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. Holy, holy name. Holy, holy name. For there is no other God. There is no other God. Who is like unto me.
that's coming to me is there's a verse in scripture that says we can ask with confidence anything of our father and if it is according to his word he hears us I'm grateful for that tonight because I'm singing this song I'm singing I want to know you more I want to love you more 
But let me tell you, even my physical body isn't giving all it's got. And I'm just asking, Lord, tonight that you would fill me with a fresh fire. God, that even this little mustard seed I have of faith, God, that I'm bringing before you now, would you do even more than I can imagine, God? think of those kids across the street at 678, Lord, would you empower them, God? Would you overflow your spirit in that building, God? I pray for this sanctuary right here, Lord. Would you come and touch even each and every heart in this place, Lord, that we would want to know you more. We would want to hunger more for you, God. We trust you, Lord, that we would give all that we are to worship you, to honor you, even as I stand here with no voice, Lord, I just pray that you would use me, God, to glorify your kingdom, glorify your name in this place. I just want to sing that chorus again. I want to know you more. Come on. I want to know you more. We say, I want to know. with you. Thank you, Alex and the team. My name is Albert, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to a new Kids Church staff member and reintroduce you to one of our Kids Church staff members who is in a new role. They, these are both full-time members. You know, oftentimes we can find the very best people right in our midst, right in our church, and even right on our staff. And this is true about these two following people. Let me tell you about the first person who is the newest Kids Church staff member. She has called Christian Assembly home for years and since she was in middle school. She found faith in Christ while attending CA students. Awesome. She graduated from Westmont College and plays harp. I wish I... Wow, they're cheering for harp. I wish I played harp. She was also on our staff and did an excellent job as an administrative assistant. She loves CA, loves kids, my daughter, Chloe, was also very much blessed by her as she was her student life group leader. She also recently got married to a man named Michael. Well, what I appreciate about this person is her heart for people and her desire to serve God's people so well. Would you welcome Julianne Almeida, our new Kid Church K-1-2 director. 
Congratulations again, Julianne. Can you just say some words to the church? See, it's so great to be with you all tonight, and it's just such a pleasure to just worship together, too. It's just thank you, team, for leading us. It was awesome. But as Albert said, I've been here at CA for over a decade now, and CA has been such a blessing to me from fostering and building my faith here to finding just really deep friendships to working as an admin on the community life team to finding my husband here to now stepping into the role of K12 director. Uh, CA has just been such a blessing to me and I'm so excited for this role. As Albert mentioned, I volunteered with K12 for almost five years, I would say, and with Trey in a lot of that time. So K12 is my favorite. They are the best. Uh, their brains are just exploding with curiosity and, and imagination is going wild. And I think the best part is that you start to see a glimpse of their understanding of what a relationship with God looks like. So um, I'm honored to partner with you parents of K12 in leading your kids towards a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. So thanks. Well said, Julianne. Yeah. Well said, Julianne. Well, um, stay up here, Julianne. Let me reintroduce you to the next Kids Church staff person. Um, he's been part of our staff for seven years. I can't believe that already. He has been faithful in his role with Kids Church as the previous K-1-2 director and did such a really great job. He went to Texas Tech University and Fuller Theological Seminary. He really loves to see kids find their hope, identity, and purpose in Jesus. He's married to Allie, and has a beautiful baby boy named James. What I appreciate about this person is his positivity and his passion for Jesus Christ. Would you welcome Trey Gomez, our new 345 director. Trey, congratulations again. Would you just share some words to the church? Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Um, I, it's been an honor to be on Kids Church staff uh, for these last seven years and be in K-1-2 and see kids uh, come to complete commitment to Jesus Christ. And now I'm excited to uh, step into this new role with third, fourth, and fifth graders. And one thing I'm excited about is seeing them know God's word and that be the foundation of their life. And there's some research out there that says that if uh, kids have five caring adults in their life, that they're more likely to have uh, a greater faith maturity when they graduate high school. And so I'm excited about being one of those five, being able to be a mentor, a discipler for these kids, to help them grow in their faith, for them to experience God, um, hopefully for the first time, or uh, hopefully in K-1-2 they'll experience God as well. But I got to do that for a long time. So, but yes, to get the, get the kids to experience God in new ways and to help them grow in their faith. And so I'm just so excited to step into this new role and see what God has for our church, for our kids, for our families. And yeah, I'm excited. Well said, Trey. I just want to share a brief word to you both, if you guys could stand right there before we pray for you. Lord will make firm the steps of those who delight in him. You have nothing to prove, no one to impress. We love you and just delight in the one who calls you son and daughter in his name. So Jill's going to come up. We're going to pray for you. 
Church, if you can extend your hands and join me in prayer for Trey and Julianne. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Julianne and Trey. We thank you for the calling in you. We thank you that you delight in them, Lord, and may they delight in you. May they delight in your word. May they lead their families in your name, God, and may their confidence, God, be in you. And Lord, when there are times, Father Lord, when they don't know what to do, just as we sang earlier, may they lift their eyes and their hands to you. We're grateful that we're a church, not just of one generation, but many generations. Would you bless the little ones? Would you bless the old ones, God? But thank you for Kids Church and our team, and we pray that every child would make a complete commitment to you over time. And we thank you for Trey and Julianne. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Love you guys. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jill. I'm one of the community life pastors here. It's great to be with you. Great to worship with you tonight. If you are new or visiting, we want to say we are especially welcome. We are especially glad that you are here and welcome to you. We have a new people's table in the lobby with a free welcome gift, so be sure to stop by on your way out of the service. We also have a connection card in your seat backs. You can fill that out as a way to let us know that you're new and drop that in the offering bags when they come around in just a moment. And as always, we want to say a very special welcome to all those who are joining us online. And so if that's you, welcome, and we are so glad that you are with us. Well, as you guys saw in that little video we just played a few moments ago, we are so excited for our upcoming Easter weekend services, and we're so excited to get to be with you and all those that you might invite to join us as we get to celebrate our risen King Jesus together. And so we want to give you some details so that you are prepared for Easter weekend. So we are going to be hosting Easter weekend services here at Christian Assembly on Saturday, April 8th, and Sunday, April 9th. On Saturday, we're going to have services at 4 p.m. happening right here in our South Sanctuary and then at 6.15 p.m. here in the South Sanctuary and across the street in our North Sanctuary. And then on Sunday, we're going to have services at 9 a.m. and 11.15 a.m. in our South Sanctuary, our North Sanctuary, and in our outdoor tented venue across the street on our North Campus. And that's going to be a lot of fun. We're also going to have live worship and live teaching at all of our service times and different venues. So, one of the things that really helps us on the planning side of things is to know which service time you and your guests plan to join us for. So in your bulletin, there is an Easter RSVP card. I want to invite you to grab this card. You can take this out and grab a pen from the seat backs in front of you. But if you have not yet filled out this Easter RSVP card, we want to give you a moment to do that right now. You can use this card to let us know what service time you plan to attend, how many people you think will be joining you. You can also use this card to let us know how many kids will be coming to our Easter Kids Church program with you. So again, if you have not yet filled this out, would you take a moment right now, I'll pause for a few moments and just fill this out, and then you can drop these in the offering bags when they come around in just a moment. If you're still filling out your card, you can continue to do that, but we do want to remind you, 
This is just an RSVP. It is not a ticket. So this is just to help us on the planning side of things. So when the offering bags come around, you can drop your RSVP cards in. Thank you so much for helping us to plan for our Easter weekend services. And we also want to encourage you to invite your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors to join us. We have some invite cards in the lobby so you can grab those on your way out as a way to invite people. Well, ladies, we are so excited for our upcoming women's conference. We are less than two weeks away from women's conference, and we have so many fun things planned. We've got worship, teaching from God's word, opportunities to be prayed for by our prayer teams. We've got workshops on a variety of topics, raffles with great prizes, and churros, and Mexican hot chocolate, and vegan gluten-free cookies that taste like churros, if you need that. So if you're not yet registered, ladies, please join us and you can register for Women's Conference on our website. Uh, we also want to let you know that we have a service that meets on Sunday nights at 6 p.m. across the street in our North Sanctuary, and that's our fusion service, and it is our community of young adults ages 18 to 35. And so if you're here and you are a young adult ages 18 to 35, we would love to invite you to check out our fusion service and consider attending and making that your home service as a way to connect with other young adults and people in a similar life stage and season of life as you. Maybe you're here and you're not a young adult, but you have a heart to pour into a younger generation or maybe the Sunday night 6 p.m. service time just works well for your schedule but if that's the case we would love to invite you to consider joining us at Fusion and making that your home service there are some cards in your seat backs if you're interested in that you can fill out one of those cards to let us know and then one of our Fusion pastors would love to follow up with you uh, by doing that you will not only help us to strengthen the Fusion service but you will also help to create more seats in our other weekend services for those who are new and joining us at the weekend and then finally, we want to let you know that Fusion is hosting a conference on the weekend of April 21st and 22nd. It's the Revive Conference, and it's an opportunity to connect with other young adults, worship God together, and learn on topics including things like dating, mental health, prayer, and more. So you can get more information and register for that on our website. Well, now is the time in our service where we get to continue in our worship through the giving of tithes and offerings. And in just a moment, we'll pass the offering bags. As always, you can give online through our Christian Assembly LA app or on our website. But as we prepare our hearts to give, let me remind us what God's word says in Psalm 36, verse 5. It says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And so as we give back to God today, let us remember that we give back to a God whose faithfulness endures and extends to the clouds. We give back to a generous and faithful God. Would you join me as we get to pray together? God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We thank you so much for your generosity and your goodness. Make us people who are also faithful back to you and who are generous back to you, Lord. God, we also want to thank you for the marriage conference that happened today on our church campus, Lord, and for the many, many married couples who participated in that. And we just want to pray that you would do a continued work in their marriages, Lord, and that the things that were stirred and brought up for them, Lord, that you would just continue those things, that you would continue to bring healing and good communication and joy to those marriages and all of the marriages represented in our church and for those online, Lord. So God, we love you. Would you continue to speak to us and encourage us through your word, Lord? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. The ushers can come forward. Thank you. 
Well, uh, hello, my name is Marvin. It's uh, great to be with you. Great to be able to get up here and share with you today. And just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. If you're visiting uh, or your guest, thank you for being with us. To our CA family, thank you so much for being with us today. And to our online family, thank you so much for joining us online. Well, uh, true story that I read about recently that I want to share with you. And it happened in 2006. Um, on April 26, 2006, there was a, a van carrying nine students from Taylor University. Uh, this is a university in Indiana, and this van that was carrying nine students and some staff uh, unfortunately had a horrible uh, accident on the highway, and a semi-truck crossed over the center divider and hit the van, uh, causing just a, a catastrophic accident. And two of the students, uh, two of the nine students that were on this university van were the students Whitney Serac and Laura Van Rain. And both of these students kind of looked the same. They had similar features. In fact, I found a picture of them. Here are the two students, Whitney and Laura. And uh, in the aftermath of the unfortunate accident, as you can imagine, there was chaos everywhere. There was first responders and there was a lot of chaos happening. Um, unfortunately, what happened is these two girls were mistaken for one another. And the officials and the authorities, they had to make the difficult phone calls to the families following this accident had the task of notifying both families what had happened. Well, unfortunately, one of the women in the uh, van lost their life in that accident, while the other one was rushed to the hospital in critical condition. Unfortunately, though, they mistaken the two girls. And so the authorities called Whitney Serac's family and they notified them that their daughter had died in this accident. And then the authorities also called Laura Van Rien's family and they told her, them that their daughter had sustained critical injuries and was being rushed to the hospital. And so you can imagine the family immediately gathered themselves and went to the hospital to be with who they thought was their daughter. And so for five weeks, for five weeks, Laura's family was at the bedside of the woman they thought was laying there, was their daughter, their daughter, or this woman was bandaged up, had sustained critical injuries, was in a coma, and couldn't speak. And so five weeks, they lay at her bedside, they prayed, they held vigils for her, people came and visited. And you can imagine what a family would do if your daughter is in a coma after a horrific accident like this. On the other end of things, Whitney's family had to deal with the thought of their daughter had died in this accident. So they grieved, and they went through that whole process. They had a funeral for their daughter. They had services. They buried their daughter. Five weeks into this horrific ordeal, the Van Rijn family started noticing just kind of odd things about the woman that they held vigil for, the, their daughter who they thought was there, but it was just something different about the woman. She was still in a coma, but as soon as she came out of her coma, the first thing they had her do is, can you write your name on this piece of paper? Because they knew that something was off. And sure enough, the girl, the woman, wrote the name Whitney. And in that moment, they knew that it was not their daughter that was laying in that bed, but rather Whitney Serac. And they knew exactly what had happened, that the two girls had been mistaken for one another. And so... Uh, Whitney's family then was, of course, notified and uh, they let them know what had happened. And 17 years have passed since this incident. I actually saw it on TV in one of those, like, you know, 2020 reports or something like that. 
Um, Whitney Serac went on to make a full recovery. She was able to graduate from school. And believe it or not, she got to watch a video of her own funeral service while the Van Rien family then had to pivot and held funeral services for their daughter, Laura. And Whitney credits the Van Rien family for praying and for believing at her bedside for five weeks, praying over her, even though they thought it was their daughter, but they prayed for healing, and, and she credits their family for doing that. And in the, in the years since, both families have maintained kind of a close relationship through this difficult experience that has bonded them together. And you might think this is a really sad case of a true story of mistaken identity, right? Just a really sad case of mistaken identity. Well, we've been in this teaching series entitled Real ID. And we've been discovering this amazing journey of what our identity is and who God says we are. That our real identity is rooted in what God's word says to be true about us and not about what the world says about who we may be. But I wonder if maybe along the way you've found yourself doubting a word that you've heard throughout this series. Maybe the enemy has been quietly whispering in your ear, causing you to second-guess that word of identity that has been spoken over you by the word of God. Here's the truth. That God's word does not mistake your identity. God says all of who you are, knowing exactly who you are, faults, flaws, and all. He knows what you've done, and yet he still chooses to declare your real ID, your real identity, and the words that he says are true about who you are. And so today, we're going to look at three more words of identity that the Bible has for us, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ. And we're going to look at how he has declared us to be made new, and that when he declares us to be made new, that that means then that we have also been set free, and that living set free means that we can walk as more than a conqueror in Christ. So we're going to look at three different words of identity today. And so if, uh, if you will join me, we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into these. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you make no mistakes about who we are. Lord, we, we second-guess ourselves sometimes. The enemy wants us to second-guess ourselves, but you make no mistake about who we are. You've declared that we are made new. You have declared that we are set free of the mess of sin that has come to entangle us, Lord. But we're set free. And that because we are set free, then we can now walk in victory, living as more than a conqueror. And I pray that we get that truth deep in our hearts, deep in our souls today, Lord, that we understand who we are in you. Because it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray this, Lord. Amen. So uh, in, your, uh, in your bulletin, you have some fill-in-the-blanks. Feel free to follow along with me in your fill-in-the-blanks. If you're online, of course, you can find those notes on our website as well, and the scriptures are there for you as well. So the first word of identity we're going to look at today is that in Christ, we are made new. And so this means we are no longer identified by our past. And friends, for me, that is good news. So let's read about what Paul says to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says the following. He writes, Therefore, if anyone, stop right there, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, that applies to us all, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
new creation, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. See, Paul writes this uh, second letter to the Corinthian church, and, and in the, there's a lot of like personal stuff that he writes because there was a lot happening around Paul and his ministry in that time, and he chooses to reveal vulnerable even parts or even intimate parts of his life in this particular letter. See, there's persons in the city of Corinth, in that church in Corinth, that were trying to discredit or disqualify Paul's ministry based on his outward qualifications. They looked at Paul and they saw that, that he had a, a job. He had bivocational role. And so he said, well, he, he's not wealthy. And so therefore, he can't be a leader in the church. Some said he just wasn't an impressive enough speaker. He's just like, well, you know, that Paul guy, he's all right, but he doesn't speak very eloquently. Not like some of these other philosophers that we have over here. And so they put Paul up against those people. And, and, and Paul is writing these words based on that context, based on these words that he's hearing about himself from other people. See, these critics were not, they were, they were not seeing past their idea of what a leader could be. They were seeing and judging Paul simply based on his resume, simply based on his past, simply based on outward appearances or outward qualifications. And it's then in this context, right? Paul's hearing all these murmurs about him. And it's in this context that he writes the words that anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, dead, passed away. I thought it was interesting when I was doing research for this that uh, the words that Paul uses for new here when he says new creation, he could have chosen two words. He could have chosen the word neos or he could have chosen the word kainos. And he chose to use the word kainos. And the difference is, is neos is, is, is new, but something that you might have previous, that was previously existing but still new. Kainos is a new kind of something, like never before existed, a new kind. And he uses that second word. So let me, let me kind of drive, drive this point home a little bit. It, for example, let's say, you know, Albert comes to me and says, hey, Marvin, I'm super excited. I got a brand new car. And I said, wonderful, what did you get? And he goes, well, I'm excited. I got a, I got a, a brand new car to me. It's a, it's a 2015 Toyota right? You might be like, that's cool. I'm, I'm happy for you, Albert. You got a new car. Not really new, right? It's 2015. It's like, you know, almost 10 years old. Nothing wrong with Toyotas. They're good cars. But it's, we wouldn't say it's new per se. It's new to him, but it's not really new because we know what he's talking about. But what if Albert would run up to me and says, Marvin, I'm super excited. I got a brand new car. And I'm like, great, Albert. What'd you get? He goes, I got a brand new 2023 Toyota, never before driven, zero miles. I mean, it just came off the truck. I'm the first person to ever drive this car. That's a new car. But that's still not the kind of new that Paul is talking about here when he says Kino's new. Because you would know what a Toyota is. If you, if you told me I got a Toyota, you would picture it in your head what kind of cars Toyota, the good reliability, all that stuff about Toyotas, right? But you would know what it means to own a Toyota. Now, what if he would run up to me and say, Marvin, I got a brand new car. I'm super excited. I got a brand new. I said, what'd you get? He goes, I got a brand new 2023 Fleabergeezer. I'm like, what is a Fleabergeezer? What kind of car is that? It's, oh, it's never existed before. They just made it up. And it's got all these fun things. And you've you got to see it. In my mind, I had no idea what he's talking about. I've never before heard of a Fleabergeezer. <laughs> Kinos refers to something that has never existed before. It's new in kind. So when we read this passage, Paul is saying, you, in Christ, you are made new. He's not saying it's like 
Oh, you just say new and improved version 2.0. You know, sometimes they change the label, but everything on the inside stays the same. That's not what he's saying. This is new in kind, not unlike anything ever seen before. If you are new in Christ, you are new, a new creation. You're not just an improved version of the past old you. You are brand new, a new creation, Paul says. New in Christ is not just a reset, reset. It's a resurrection. You see, we live in a world that is completely built on identifying and defining who we are based on our past, right? It could be like positive experience and it could be negative experiences. A positive example could be like, you know, you've reached a certain level of education in your life and so you identify yourself based on that past, based on the educational pursuits. Or it could be a negative experience like a divorce or, you know, a past mistake and you're, you know, today you're defined by those consequences of those past mistakes. Think of it this way. Let's say, you know, you were at a dinner party. Most of us would come up to you and say, hi, my name is blah, 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 fill in the blank your name, and then you would probably insert a word of identity about yourself. So for me, it'd be like, hi, my name is Marvin. I'm a pastor. And that might tell you what I do for a living. That might tell you how much education I have. That give you a glimpse of who I am based on my past. And most of us do this because it kind of identifies us based on a social ladder, an economic system that we've somehow attained. And for others, the world might identify you based on past mistakes. Things like a past addiction or a past divorce. I had the privilege of walking with many people who are in recovery and in sobriety, and you go to meetings and you stand up and you say, hi, my name is Marvin. I'm a alcoholic or I'm a don't fill in the blank in that context. But God, through his word, helps us to rewrite the script of our life. No longer is our identity attached to a worldly standard of success or failure. No, God says something completely different about you. He says you are a new creation. And for me, that is good news. And for you, that is good news. So the next time you're at a dinner party, you might say something like, Hi, my name is Marvin. I am created in God's image, redeemed by Christ, a child of God, adopted into his family. I am chosen. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am God's co-worker. I am made new, set free, and I can live as more than a conqueror. That in Christ is who you are, friend. And that is good news. So then this leads us to our second word of identity today. And that is this, is that in Christ, we have been set free, making it possible for us to change. In a different letter, one to the Galatian church, Paul writes the following words, Galatians 5.1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. See, in this series, we have learned that every single human being male and female, was created in the image of God. And that God saw his creation and he said that it was very good. But we've also learned that then sin entered into the world through disobedience, causing man to then become enslaved to that sin. But God, but God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die and be resurrected, to purchase back or to redeem us from our sin and we are now redeemed. So Paul, what Paul is saying is that for those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, we are a new creation, which means now we've also come to be set free, and we are no longer sa- slaves to the sin that had come to entangle us. We are set free. 
set free from the penalty of sin and set free from the power of that sin over our lives, making change truly possible, friends. You need to hear this. If you've placed your faith in Christ, he has set you free. That sin no longer has come to entangle you. You can walk in victory. And if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, the good news is that today you can do that. Today you can do that and you can be made new and also be set free. See, there were those around the church there in, in, in Galatia that were saying that in order for people to be saved, they needed to do some outward rituals like circumcision. And Paul reminds them that no, it's Jesus and only Jesus that brings salvation. Your real idea is that in Christ, in Christ alone, you have been set free. It's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus alone. Your salvation is not based on what you have done. Your salvation is not based on the fact of how good you have lived your life. Your salvation and ultimately your identity is based on the fact that Jesus died for you, that you accepted his death as a payment for your sin and that you are raised to new life with him, which sets us free. And I know what you might be thinking because I had that thought when I was preparing for this message myself. You might be thinking like, well, well that's great, Marvin, but, but you don't know me. I fall short every single day. I get angry. I'm prideful. I lust. So that set free stuff, you might be talking about somebody else, but you don't know me. You don't know my heart. You don't know my mind. And you're right, I don't know you. But I do know this, that the truth is that as long as we live in these human bodies, there's going to be this wrestling with the flesh. Even Paul, the guy that wrote these words, found, him ha found himself having the same type of inner dialogue. Look at what he says in Romans. He says, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do that anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. But here's the difference for those of us that have come to place our faith in Christ. That yes, we are a work in progress, but every day we move closer towards the goal of living a righteous life before God. Because it's not about me trying harder to figure it out. It's about Christ in me. It's my identity in Christ that sets me free. It's not my past. It's because his Holy Spirit dwells in me that I can now live out of that identity knowing that I am set free, set free from the penalty and the power of sin. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So in Christ, through His Spirit, in our identity, change is possible. We live in a world that doesn't really believe change is possible. Like if you mess up, they cancel you. But in Christ, change is possible. Your identity in Christ means you have been set free. Many years ago, uh, when I worked at, at the Union Rescue Mission, which is one of the homeless shelters downtown on Skid Row, I came across a man uh, named Daryl. Different name, of course. Um, but Daryl was one of these men who you would classify as a chronically homeless individual. 
He, all of his life possessions were in a shopping cart. He pushed this cart for the past 20 years. We all knew Daryl because he would walk up and down the streets. We were on 5th and San Pedro. He'd walk down San Pedro every day, sometimes come in for a meal, sometimes wouldn't. We'd just kind of wave at him, and he'd go about his day. And that was just Daryl. One day, it was raining. I know, it rains in L.A. sometimes. I, I got to change that joke because now it rains every day in L.A. Uh, <laughs> One day it was raining, and uh, Daryl decided to come in off the streets to, to just get out of the rain, right? And so I, I proceeded to start to make my way over to talk to Daryl. And I remember clearly one of the other workers, I, you know, I don't you know, you, you get jaded working in a place like that sometimes, and, and I'm not blaming him. But one of the other workers came over to me and says, don't waste your time. Daryl's going to come in, he's going to get his meal, and as soon as the weather clears up, he'll be right back on the streets doing what he always does. And he said, don't waste your time. That's exactly what he said to me. And I just felt this stirring in my heart. I was probably naive. I was young. And I just said, you know, I'm going to go over and talk to Daryl. And I went over and I introduced myself and I talked to Daryl. And, and we had a, just a nice conversation. And then I said, hey, Daryl, do you know that we have, I know he knew this, but do you know that we have a 12-month recovery program? It's upstairs. You get a bed for, for 12 months. Uh, you get meals three times a day. Um, we have the Christian-based re- recovery program. And so I kind of invited him to that, even though I was told not to waste my time. And Daryl looked at me and he goes, yeah, I want to try that. I'm like, okay. Uh, and so I started immediately getting all the stuff done. We got him a bed and he moved in. And the next morning when I came into my office, Daryl was there waiting for me. He says, can we talk? And I said, sure. Let me put on some coffee. I put on some coffee and Daryl and I spoke. Every day for the next 364 days, Daryl was waiting for me at my office, waiting for me to turn on the coffee maker and have a talk every day. Never miss a day. Daryl finished the 12-month recovery program completely sober during that time. Daryl gave his life to Christ, and Daryl was taking steps to live free, to be set free of his past identity, and step into the new identity that Christ had made possible for him to step into. And I just wonder, I wonder if along the way maybe you have stopped looking for change. Maybe you stopped thinking change was possible. Maybe in your own life, you thought, man, this area of my life, I don't even know if change is possible. God, Marvin, you don't know. God, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how bad and the deaths that I've gone to. Let me tell you, friend, change is possible because you've been set free. Or maybe you stopped looking for change in someone else. In Christ, we have been set free. I thought about telling you a story from like way back when in my life when God just set me free of a habitual sin in my life. I've got plenty of those stories. But I thought maybe something more recent that I'm still kind of wrestling with might be more relevant. Uh, over the pandemic, you know, like many of us, you know, we were kind of at home and I, you know, there was, there was my rhythms of life were interrupted. I wasn't sleeping the same. I wasn't exercising the same. I wasn't socializing the same as many of us were not. And I remember just kind of my demeanor changed. I'm just more angry. I just resentful. I love being with people. My job is to be with people. I love that part. And, and when that was kind of changed, it just kind of threw me off. And I just remember being kind of not myself, not sleeping well, just being a little more bitter, a little more angry. I love Jesus. I love my family, but it just wasn't coming out right sometimes. And I remember one particular day, I'd been short with one of the kids and my wife full of the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> she says to me, like, do you need a nap or something? <laughs> yes, honey, I do. <laughs> Desperately. And I just, that, wow, that kind of stung a little. I'm like, am I, am I being short with people? 
Am I letting anger and that's kind of festering in my heart kind of leak out into the ways that I interact with my family? And, and yeah, I took her up on that. I took a nap. But I also, talked to, I also talked to some other men that we're in a life group with, and they prayed over me. And it just, it just came down to, are, are you reminding yourself daily, every morning, of who you are in Christ? Can you gain victory in this area in your life by, be, by, by reminding yourself of your identity and knowing that you are set free? And it's been kind of an ongoing thing. And, I, and, I, and the days that I spend time with Jesus reminding myself that, of who I am in him, those are the days I experience more success in that part of my life, more victory in that part of my life. And it goes back to reminding myself of my identity in him. So the third word for the day is this. The third word of identity is this. Is that in Christ we can live as more than conquerors. We sang about it earlier. We can live as more than conquerors. Because of this, we walk in victory and we can relate to others in a new way. Once again, we go back to Paul's writings, this time uh, to the Roman church, and he says the following. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long, for we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And here's the, here's the words. It says, No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yes, sin has come to make a mess out of things, right? But God loves you so much that he saw fit to redeem you, to set you free, to make you new, and now allowing you to walk as more than a conqueror. So what does it mean to walk in that victory? What does it mean to walk as more than a conqueror? Because it's not just we've conquered sin. It says we are more than conquerors. Let's look at uh, a passage in Ephesians that I think illustrates it very well. Ephesians 4.28 is in your bulletin. It says this, look. And anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. I'm going to pause right there. So that's being a conqueror, right? So if in your past you stole things, it says steal no longer. Boom. Now you have victory in that area. You are a conqueror. But that's not all it says. It goes on to say, but then must work at doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So being a conqueror means you stop stealing. Being more than a conqueror means you not only stop stealing, but you become generous and you do something useful with your own hands. So maybe once you struggled with an addiction, to be a conqueror in Christ means you are empowered then to be set free and break that addiction. But to be more than a conqueror means you not only break their addiction, now you look back and you help others break out of their addictions. Living as more than a conqueror allows you to look beyond yourself and think about how your victory then helps you to serve someone else. Right now, we have about 65 men who are in a 10-week life group reading a book called Unoffendable. You tell me where else in our world do men gather to learn how to not be easily offended? That's what they're doing. 65 men who said, this is an area in my life that needs to be addressed. I'm going to get with some other guys. We're going to read a book for 10 weeks and not be easily offended. That's being more than a conqueror. That's saying, I don't want to just gain victory. I want to then serve someone else in my victory. This kind of stuff does not happen outside of the church. Alex, if you can join me wherever you're at. I'd like to close with this 
story. I learned the power of a changed life, of being made new at a very young age. When I was uh, growing up, my family, especially my dad, uh, refused any religious observances. My dad was an atheist. He despised anything that had to do with any kind of religious activity, so much so that all throughout my childhood years, my dad never let us celebrate Christmas. I know, sad. Never had a tamal, never had a party, never. And you know, we lived in this apartment building, and every Christmas Eve, I would open my window to my bedroom in our apartment, and I just could hear laughter and the clanking of, you know, parties and just fun. And I just said, I want, I want whatever they have. I didn't even know what they had. But in my own way, I looked up and I looked out my window and I, and I knew there was a God, so I didn't say God if you're out there, but I just said, God, I know you're out there. But I said, could you please, would you please change my dad? Selfishly, I wanted Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, could you, would you please change my dad? I was about 10 years old when I said that simple prayer. Well, a couple years later, September of 1989, my dad's best friend uh, was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. It was one of those life-altering moments that happens all too often. And in, those, in that life-altering moment, my dad says to his best friend, what, what can I do? What can I do? And his best friend said, there's not much you can do, but you know what? I'm going to give this church thing a shot because what else do I have to lose? There's some people there that, that can pray for me, and so would you come with me? It took, I, I don't know, I mean, I'm not inside my dad, but I must, it must have taken everything inside of him to say, I'm going to go, but your best friend is dying. And so we started attending church September of 1989. I was so happy. I was 12 years old. I loved going to church. I loved putting on my little clip-on tie. I loved, <laughs> we went to, every Sunday after, we went to Tommy's Burgers and got a, and got a chili burger. I love that. But I just, I just knew that my dad was saying, you know, I'm going to do this with my friend, and when he dies, then we'll stop going to church. And I didn't want that to happen. But we kept going. We kept going. September of 89, October, November, and then Christmas Eve came, 1989. And I was 12 years old. And I remember at that time, we were si I was sitting in the sanctuary. I can still picture it. I was sitting in the sanctuary. There was no kids' church because it was Christmas Eve. So I was with my parents, and the pastor made this beautiful sermon about, on, on Christmas and everyone was caught up in that and he made the altar call. He said, if anybody wants to give their life to Christ, if anybody wants to be made new, if anybody wants to be changed by the power of Jesus, would you stand up? And I remember looking over, kind of peeking up out of my prayer, looking over just to kind of see who in the room was going to stand up because you have to stand up. And I did never expected my parents to stand up. But on Christmas Eve, I looked over, and both of my parents had stood up. And what happened then, you, you can't, I actually brought a picture. Um, you can't tell, you can't tell a 12-year-old that Jesus doesn't change lives. When that man that looks like Colonel Sanders... <laughs> This picture was taken at an ordination service that we had 
for me here, me and some other pastors here late last year. And my dad comes over to me. If one of his kids would have ever been ordained as a pastor and you would have told him that 30 years ago, he would have cursed you out. And he came over to me and he goes, Mijo, I'm so proud of you. And you can't tell me that Jesus does not change lives, that he doesn't make us new, that he doesn't rewrite the script of our lives. He did that for my family. And he's done that for so many of your families as well because I know your stories. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. The God that we sing to, that we've sung to tonight, the Jesus that we're talking about is, he's in the work of changing lives, making us new, setting us free from the power of sin, allowing us to live as more than a conqueror. And I, I'm guessing there's someone in here today, maybe even online, that's still investigating faith, checking things out. We're so glad that you're here. But I just feel like this is your opportunity. I just feel like I wouldn't want to leave this place without offering you an extended invitation to join the family, to be made new. That promise is for you. And really all you have to do, if that's you, if you've never crossed over into a relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is just accept that Jesus is Lord, that you're a, sa- you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that believe in your heart that Jesus is that Savior, confess with your mouth, and I'm going to guide you in a prayer in just a moment, and that's it. Jesus' promise to you is that he will make you new, that he will set you free. You'll be called more than a conqueror. So if, if, if that's where you're at, if you want to make that declaration of faith, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. Just a simple prayer like saying, Lord, here I am. I admit my need for a Savior. And Jesus, I call you my Lord. I confess with my mouth that you are my Savior. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Today and forever. In Christ's name. If that simple prayer, you just prayed it with full heart, I just want you to share that with somebody. Maybe you came with somebody, share it with them so that we can celebrate you. Come up and share, share it with me or one of the pastors. Let us know. We'd love to celebrate you. We'd love to welcome you into Christ's family today. The very next thing that you can do is, is to be baptized. And we're going to have baptism class on March 26th. We can guide you into that baptism class. We'd love for you to get baptized. For those of us that are in Christ, the reminder today is that that our past doesn't define who you are. It doesn't identify who you are in Christ. That in Christ, you are made new. That in Christ, you are set free. And that in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. So maybe there's a habitual sin that you've stopped praying for, that you stopped believing could change. Know that today, Jesus wants to break that addiction. Jesus wants to break that behavior. Jesus wants to set you free of that. He wants to make you more than a conqueror so that you can experience victory in any and all areas of your life because that is your identity in Christ.
So Father, would you come? Would you break us of the sin that entraps us, Lord? Would you remind us of who we are? Would you allow us to step into and walk in victory, knowing that we have been set free and more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, and that is who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.